And you know, the longer you live, the more you realize that things aren't always what they seem. It's important that our hope is built on the truth because life, as most of you know, can throw you a curveball from time to time. If you've ever played baseball and stood at home plate, watching that ball coming right at your body, only to curve at the last second right over the plate, it's very deceiving. That's why it strikes out so many batters. It's effective. I'll never forget the first time I saw a real curveball. I was a kid playing in the pony league, the middle school kind of league at school, and I was standing at home plate, and this kid pitching hurled the baseball, and it was coming right at my head. And I literally hit the deck. I'd been hit with pitches before, so I dove into the dirt because I knew I was going to get clocked by this pitch. And shortly after that, I heard the ump yell, strike. And then the next thing I heard were my teammates laughing at me, sitting on the bench, because I'm laying in the dirt and the kid threw a strike. I'd never seen a curveball before. And as I stood there, I watched consecutive pitches go by me with amazement. This kid threw one curveball after another, and he struck me out. And the truth is, at that moment, I didn't care about hitting the ball because I was so impressed by watching the thing curve in front of me. I just wanted to see him do it again. It was awesome. Things aren't always what they seem. When my wife and I were first married, we had no money, and she had an aunt, Aunt Celia. She's 86 years old, and she owned this huge home in what was once farm country that it now has developed into um, overdeveloped, and it's not a very nice area, a pretty rough neighborhood. And she lived there alone, and as you can imagine, at 86 years old, she didn't get around much, and she needed some help. So she offered, when my wife and I were married, to come live with her, and if we would help take care of her and help her go to the store and shop and that sort of thing, we could stay there rent-free. <clears throat> and it was great. And so we moved in with Aunt Celia um, right after getting married, and it, was, it worked out really well. So we, had, uh, we could pay our bills, and we took her shopping, and she was great. And it was a good time for us. But Aunt Celia, when, when she would go to bed at night, I mean, you wouldn't know that anyone else was in the house because she didn't move until morning. She was quiet. She was very deliberate and slow. She walked very slow, as you would expect an 86-year-old woman to do. And so one night we were upstairs in bed, Mary Beth and I sleeping, and we stayed in the upper floor, the second story, and Aunt Celia stayed in the first story. And in the middle of the, of the silence of the night, we heard a crash really loud, and it woke us both up. We sat up in bed, and sort of, you know, you're getting your wits about you and wiping out the cobwebs, and we heard another crash and some banging around downstairs. Now, clearly, it's not Aunt Celia. She doesn't, she couldn't create that much sound. And so we knew something was wrong, and I was a police officer at the time, and I jumped out of bed, and I picked up the phone to call 911, and the phone line was dead. And I said, okay, some, somebody's cut the phone line and they're breaking into the house. So I'm opening the drawer, I'm getting out my gun, and I said, flip on the light. We went, Mary Beth, to flip on the light, and there's no light. The power, and I said, okay, so we're into it now. And so grab the cell phone, call 911, I gotta go downstairs and see what's going on. And we do, and the police are on the way, right? And it's on like Donkey Kong, because I'm getting ready to, you know, engage the people breaking into the house. And the whole time we can hear banging around and rumbling around, and then right as I'm about to leave the bedroom, smack, we hear glass shatter. I said, okay, you stay here, 
I'm going. And here I go. I'm like, you know, Ethan Hunt in Mission Impossible with my gun, making my way in the night through the hall, you know, down the hallway, yeah, the whole thing. Where I'm doing all the stuff. I got my mag light. I'm ready to go. I got my gun. Working my way down the hall, down the steps, through the downstairs hall, and I, it's in the, all this stuff's happening in the kitchen and just banging around. And I come around the corner about the time I can hear sirens coming. And I turn on my flashlight, and right in the beam of my light is Aunt Celia with a broom and a squirrel in the corner of the room. And I'm telling you, she is swinging for the fences. She's breaking everything in the kitchen. She's walking around, smashing stuff, trying to kill this squirrel in the kitchen. And you can imagine the embarrassment when all the cops then pull up in the driveway, guns drawn, ready to make entry, because I'm telling them on the cell phone that there's someone actively breaking into the house. And I had to go outside and explain that it was just my 86-year-old aunt chasing a squirrel with a broom in the middle of the night. Very embarrassing. Things, things aren't always what they seem. The old hymn, The Solid Rock, says, My hope is built on nothing less than Jesus' blood and righteousness. I dare not trust the sweetest frame, but wholly lean on Jesus' name. On Christ, the solid rock, I stand. All other ground is sinking sand. All other ground is sinking sand. That's based on Jesus' parable in Matthew 7. There's so much truth in the words of this song. I dare not trust the sweetest frame, a frame of mind. In other words, no matter how great I think life is going, I better not place my hope, my trust, in anything other than Jesus Christ. In the old Oxford English Dictionary, uh, the word frame used to mean advantage or benefit. So no matter how sweet the circumstance, no matter how much benefit I find myself in, my hope is still anchored in Christ alone. Because life can throw us curveballs or send us squirrels. Things aren't always what they seem. When our hope is built on anything other than Him, it's nothing more than sinking sand. So hope that is to have any meaning, any weight at all, any worth, must be based on the truth. And in John 14, 6, Jesus said, I am the way, the truth, and the life. He's also described as our hope in Scripture, and that Greek word for hope in the Bible that's used to describe Jesus is elpis, which means expectation or anticipation. It's generally associated with salvation and fulfillment and goodness. But in our language today, in our culture, hope is often used to express uncertainty, isn't it? And we say things like, well, I hope so, but I'm not sure. Man, I hope we can make it. You know, I, I sure hope my team wins. I hope we're, we're going to have enough money to pay the bills this month. I, I hope she's going to be okay. I hope we don't fall off the fiscal cliff, right? For so many in our culture today, hope is a roll of the dice. It's based on uncertainty. And people are hoping for a future, but it's a very uncertain future. But as Christians, our hope is built on something true, something eternal, something sure and reliable, something that's tested and proven. And of course, it's not actually something, it's someone. It's Jesus Christ. He is our hope. 1 Timothy 1.1 says, Paul, an apostle of Jesus Christ, by command of God our Savior, and of Christ Jesus our hope. Jesus Christ is our hope. So last week we talked through an overview of the progressive revelation of Christ in the world in the first message of this Advent series, or Christmas series, entitled God Revealed. We looked at the revelation of God in creation 
and the revelation of God in his word. And the last point of that sermon was God revealed in us. And so today and next week, we're going to take a, a bit deeper look into that revelation of Christ in us. And today, we're going to talk about God revealed in us, Christ revealed in us as our hope. Okay? God reveals himself to us as our blessed eternal hope that we may live our lives full of the scriptural version of hope, el peace, which means a life filled with expectancy and anticipation of a certain future and a present goodness, blessing in our lives. And he reveals himself in us as the hope of the world, a world that's filled with so much hopelessness and despair and uncertainty. But we, as Christians, have the cure for what ails the world living inside of us, don't we? We have certainty. We have hope because we have Jesus Christ, okay? So let's turn to Romans chapter 8, and we're going to read about living a life filled with hope. And we're going to start in verse 18, and we'll go through verse 25 for now. We'll be bouncing back and forth today between the book of Romans and the book of Hebrews, along with scattered some other scriptures. But those are our two primary texts, Romans 8 and Hebrews 6. And we're going to explore this concept of hope for the believer. Okay, so Romans 8, starting in verse 18. For I consider that the sufferings of this present time are not worth comparing with the glory that is to be revealed in us. For the creation waits with eager longing for the revealing of the sons of God. For the creation was subjected to futility, not willingly, but because of him who subjected it in hope, that's expectancy or anticipation, same word, that the creation itself will be set free from its bondage to corruption and obtain the freedom of the glory of the children of God. For we know that the whole creation has been groaning together in the pains of childbirth until now. And not only the creation, but we ourselves, who have the first fruits of the Spirit, grown inwardly as we wait eagerly for the adoption as sons, the redemption of our bodies. For in this hope we were saved. Now hope that is seen is not hope, for who hopes for what he sees? But if we hope for what we do not see, we wait for it with patience. And now we'll jump over to Hebrews chapter 6. And we'll read starting in verse 13, and we'll go through verse 18 for now. Hebrews 6 says, For when God made a promise to Abraham, since he had no one greater by whom to swear, he swore by himself, saying, Surely I will bless you and multiply you. And thus Abraham, having waited patiently, or having patiently waited, obtained the promise. For people swear by something greater than themselves, and in all their disputes, an oath is final for confirmation. So when God desired to show more convincingly to the heirs of the promise the unchangeable character of his purpose, he guaranteed it with an oath. So that by two unchangeable things in which it is impossible for God to lie, we who have fled for refuge might have strong encouragement to hold fast to the hope set before us. These two passages, which we'll read more of each of them in a few moments, both outline the reason we need hope and the way to realize it in our lives. Okay, first of all, we see that living a life filled with hope does not mean living a problem-free life. There will be pain. There will be struggle in our lives, but it is not without hope. The Romans 8 passage tells us in verse 18, For I consider that the sufferings of this present time are not worth comparing with the glory that is to be revealed in us. This is the Apostle Paul. 
obviously a Christian, writing about the sufferings of this present time, okay? So clearly we can expect at least the possibility of suffering as Christians. But the good news is what he says next. These sufferings are not worth comparing with the glory that is to be revealed in us. That, my friends, is real hope, an expectancy, an anticipation of something greater. And then in Hebrews 6, in that passage in verse 16, it says, For people swear by something greater than themselves, and in all their disputes, an oath is final for confirmation. This is written to Christians. In all their disputes, obviously there are still problems with relationships, even between Christians. When we become followers of Christ, we apparently still have issues that need resolving, don't we? All of our problems, even our problems with others, don't go away when we become a Christian, we still sometimes struggle. We struggle with relationships. That's complicated. And then verse 18 says, We who have fled for refuge might have strong encouragement to hold fast to the hope set before us. So we see in these passages that some Christians are suffering all sorts of things. Some are not getting along with each other. And now in verse 18, they're talking about fleeing for refuge. <clears throat> Life for the Christian, particularly first century Christians, wasn't always easy. If you've ever read any of the first century accounts of Christians and how they lived and died, it can be pretty harrowing. Thankfully, in this country, at this time in history, we don't experience that kind of persecution. And often in Scripture, when we read about suffering, it's talking about persecution. We don't have to face that like other Christians have to face daily, even today in other parts of the world. But let's be honest. We're pursued by the enemy of our souls. And that can and does come in many forms at different times throughout life. It doesn't mean that every problem we face is the devil coming after us. The fact is we live in a fallen world. And sometimes trouble arrives at our doorstep just because of that. But there are times when we are pursued by the enemy. Scripture is clear about that. Verse Peter 5, 8 and 10 says, Be sober-minded, be watchful. Your adversary, the devil, prowls around like a roaring lion, seeking someone to devour. Notice it says, like a roaring lion. I love that fact that it says, like. He's not a roaring lion, but he acts like one. Resist him, firm in your faith, knowing that the same kinds of suffering are being experienced by your brotherhood throughout the world. And after you've suffered a little while, the God of all grace, who has called you to his eternal glory in Christ, will himself restore, confirm, strengthen, and establish you. Again, there's a warning followed by a promise. Isn't God awesome? He never presents a challenge for us without a sufficient answer that always ends up with us on top, as long as we follow his prescription. Living a life full of hope doesn't always mean a problem-free life, a life without struggle, but there's always hope for the Christian. Again, the second half of verse 18 in Hebrews 6 says, we might have strong encouragement to hold fast to the hope set before us. There is always, always hope for the Christian. Even when we experience problems and pain in life because of our own sin, if you're a child of God, a follower of Christ, there is hope in him. Jeremiah 29, 11, God says to the people of Judah, who at this point in their history, exiles, displaced, and suffering big time because of their own sin, when they turned away from God, and he says to them, at that point, he says to them, for I know the plans I have for you, declares the Lord, plans for welfare and not for evil, to give you a future and a hope. These are people living in sin, his people. Even though there's struggle, in your life. Even though we suffer, 
even though everything can be at times very far from perfect, whether or not some of that is your own doing, we're promised by God himself that there's hope. Verse 17 of Hebrews 6 says, So when God desired to show more convincingly to the heirs of the promise, that's us, the unchangeable character of his purpose, he guaranteed it with an oath. I know that at times, things for us can seem hopeless. I've had moments in my life like that. I know that life can turn out to look very different than what we expected it would. But don't you believe for one second that there's no hope left for you? If you have Jesus, you have hope. Write that on your mirror if you have to. Put it on the dashboard of your car. Tape it to your desk, whatever it takes to remember. If you have Jesus, you have hope. So we know there's hope for the Christian, and we know that we need it because we're not yet living in a perfected, glorified state, as Romans 8.17 tells us. A couple weeks ago, we talked about the fact that where there's no room for doubt, there's no need for faith. A similar statement can be made here about hope. Where there's no room for suffering, there's no need for hope. But Romans 18 tells us that just as we suffer with Christ, we will be glorified with him. That is our blessed hope. That is our ultimate hope in Christ. At the end of the age, when he comes back to redeem his people, that is our ultimate hope in Christ. Yet in addition to our future hope, there's hope in Christ for today for your life today. Romans 15, 13 says, May the God of hope fill you with all joy and peace in believing so that by the power of the Holy Spirit you may abound in hope. We're going to talk about this verse some more next week, but this is describing hope that is for today by the power of the Holy Spirit. So how do we, how do we realize that hope which is available to us right now? The answer is in Hebrews 6 and Romans 8, and it's twofold, okay? First, it says we must patiently wait upon the Lord in all things. The passage in Hebrews 6 was written to a group of spiritually immature, spiritually lazy Christians. They weren't where they should have been with the Lord. All wasn't well with them. And yet there, as reliable as the shore, uh, as the morning and evening, as reliable as the sun rises every day, as reliable as the moon, as the stars in the sky, right before them was hope. Let's read it again. Verse 13. For when God made a promise to Abraham, since he had no one greater by whom to swear, he swore by himself, saying, Surely I will bless you and multiply you. And thus Abraham, having patiently waited, obtained the promise. And then again in verse 18 we read, So that by two unchangeable things in which it is impossible for God to lie, we who have fled for refuge might have strong encouragement to hold fast to the hope set before us. Patiently waiting and holding fast. Both of these phrases in this passage imply at least sometimes we have to wait on God's timing because he doesn't always operate on our schedule. You've heard that. Isaiah 55, 8 and 9 says, For my thoughts are not your thoughts, neither are your ways my ways, declares the Lord. For as the heavens are higher than the earth, so are my ways higher than your ways and my thoughts than your thoughts. Sometimes we just have to trust that God is working all things together for our good, as it says in Romans 8.28. And in the meantime, patiently wait with an assurance of hope that he's doing just that in our lives. Back to Romans uh, 8, verse 19. For the creation waits with eager longing for the revealing 
of the sons of God. Skip down to verse 23. And not only the creation, but we ourselves who have the first fruits of the Spirit grown inwardly as we wait eagerly for adoption as sons, the redemption of our bodies. For in this hope we were saved. Now hope that is seen is not hope, for who hopes for what he sees? But if we hope for what we do not see, what's it say? We wait for it with patience. Often our hope involves patiently waiting for the promise of the Father, deliverance, healing, overcoming, relief from our struggles doesn't always happen instantaneously. It doesn't always happen when we want it to. We see it all through Scripture, but in that process of patiently waiting, we can hold fast to the hope that we have by the power of the Holy Spirit, the hope that He truly is working all things together for our good. We can't possibly know the mind of God in all things, but we can rest in our hope that is sure and the promises of God for a blessed life and a secure future, okay? So when we find ourselves broken in the midst of hurt and fear and confusion, we must first hold fast to the hope set before us and sometimes patiently wait on the Lord, okay? So, so what's next? When I'm, when I'm patiently waiting, how do I keep from losing hope? Sometimes our struggles can last a lot longer than we thought they would. A long time. Sometimes a lifetime. So do we just wait around for something to happen? Well, of course not. Let's go back to our text in Hebrews and Romans. First in Hebrews, right after we're told to patiently wait, holding fast to the hope set before us. Verse 19 and 20 says, We have this as a sure and steadfast anchor of the soul. A hope that enters into the inner place behind the curtain where Jesus has gone as a forerunner on our behalf. This is significant. Hope in the midst of suffering, hope in the face of overwhelming odds, comes not just by patiently waiting, but by taking the time and making the effort to get to a place of intimacy with the Lord. In church language, we call that pressing into God. These verses are referring to the temple, right? That was the dwelling place of the Spirit of God before Jesus' death on the cross. The Holy of Holies, it says, the inner place that was unavailable to everyone except certain priests, walled off by a huge, heavy, thick curtain that restricted access to the people. But when Christ gave himself up for us, the word says that curtain was rent, torn in half, that no longer would the presence of God only be available to a select few, but to all who call upon the name of the Lord. So we now have access to the Holy of Holies, that inner place, the presence of God. And it is in that place, this verse is telling us, it's in that place when we go there, when we, when we dwell there in His presence, when we take the time and make the effort to commune intimately with the Spirit of God in that inner place. It's there that we find hope in the midst of suffering. It's there that we find hope in, in the midst of pain and loss and hurt and confusion. It's that inner place. Hope is found in intimate communion with the Spirit of God. That, of course, requires time and effort on our part. Getting alone with God, away from distractions and the tugging of everyday life. It's always there. Finding a place of solitude with the Holy Spirit. Listen, I love this Psalm 46. You've heard it, I'm sure. It says, God is our refuge and our strength, the very present help in trouble. Therefore, we will not fear, though the earth gives way, 
Though the mountains be moved into the heart of the sea, though its waters roar and foam, though the mountains tremble at its swelling, there is a river whose stream make glad the city of God, the holy habitation of the Most High. God is in the midst of her. She shall not be moved. God will help her when morning dawns. The nations rage. The kingdoms totter. He utters his voice. The earth melts. The Lord of hosts is with us. The God of Jacob is our fortress. Come, behold the works of the Lord, how he has brought desolations on the earth. He makes wars cease to the ends of the earth. He breaks the bow and shatters the spear. He burns the chariots with fire. Be still and know that I am God. I will be exalted among the nations. I will be exalted in the earth. The Lord of hosts is with us. The God of Jacob is our fortress. In the midst of calamity, when everything is falling apart around us, he says, be still and know that I am God. Hope is found in intimate communion with the Spirit of God. Okay, and again in Romans 8, 26 and 27, it says, likewise, the Spirit helps us in our weakness, for we do not know what to pray for as we ought. But the Spirit himself intercedes for us with groanings too deep for words. And he who searches hearts knows what is the mind of the Spirit, because the Spirit intercedes for the saints according to the will of God. This is talking about intimacy with the Spirit in prayer, okay? When he says groaning too deep for words, that's not referring to the prayer we pray before we eat dinner, right? Good Lord, good meat. You know, good bread, good meat, good Lord, let's eat. Is that what we do? This is groaning too deep for words. It's referring to a place of deep, intimate prayer from our spirit, through the spirit of God who's interceding for us, okay? Hope is found in intimate communion with the spirit of God. And what comes out of that intimate prayer? You read on, verse 28, and we know that for those who love God, all things work together for good. For those who are called according to his purpose, for those whom he foreknew, he also predestined to be conformed to the image of his son, in order that he might be the firstborn among many brothers. And those whom he predestined, he also called, and those whom he called, he also justified, and those whom he justified, he also glorified. What shall we say then to these things? If God is for us, who can be against us? What an incredible statement. If God is for us, who can be against us? As Christians, we have a certain future and a secure hope for eternity. But we also have hope for today because we know that he's working all things together for our good. And if he's for us, who can be against us? Again, the first five verses of Psalm 103 says, Bless the Lord, O my soul, and all that is within me, bless his holy name. Bless the Lord, O my soul, and forget not all his benefits, who forgives all your iniquity, who heals all your diseases, who redeems your life from the pit, who crowns you with steadfast love and mercy, who satisfies you with good so that your youth is renewed like the eagles. I'm telling you, that is hope for today. Forget not all his benefits. As Christians, we should be living our lives filled with hope. Hope for our future and hope for today. But there's one more point, and I'll just skip through it very quickly to be made here. Not only should we be living a life filled with hope, but we should always be offering hope to others. 
Matthew 5, 14 through 16, Jesus said, You're the light of the world. A city set on a hill cannot be hidden, nor do people light a lamp and put it under a basket, but on a stand, and it gives light to all in the house. In the same way, let your light shine before others so that they may see your good works and give glory to your Father who's in heaven. We're to offer this hope that is Jesus Christ, this light in us, to the world. You know that. In John 8, 12, Jesus said, Whoever follows me will not walk in darkness, but will have the light of life. That theme of him being light, it's throughout Scripture. When the wilderness was dark at night, God guided Moses and his people by a pillar of fire. The wise men followed a light in the sky to get to Jesus. Paul was blinded by a light that was the Holy Spirit that was the beginning of his conversion. And now we carry that light within us. But the world without Christ is a very dark place, full of uncertainty and hopelessness. It is our responsibility to offer the light, the hope that we have, to other people. Last week we talked about the true meaning of the Advent season. The fact that Advent is not only the celebration of the first coming or the first Advent of Christ, but it's also the anticipation and the expectation, the peace, the hope of his second Advent or the second coming. So as we celebrate this Christmas this Advent season, let's allow God's light, the hope that is God revealed in us to shine for everyone that we encounter, okay? Let's offer hope to the hopeless. Don't miss an opportunity to share hope with others. They're before us all the time if you're sensitive to what the Holy Spirit is doing. Bring those who are hurting to church with you. Pray with those in need where they are every chance you get. Be aware of the opportunities that God may be placing before you to offer the hope of Christ to the people you encounter each day. And, and I just want to say, if you're struggling today with feelings of hopelessness, remember to patiently wait on God and His timing as He works out things for your good. And as you wait, man, as you wait, press into that inner place behind the curtain, that inner place of intimate communion with him, it is there that you will find hope. Would you bow your heads with me? I'd like for our worship team to come this morning as well, if you would. Uh, we do this each week here, and I always will until I know that everyone is following Christ. So I just want to ask you this morning, if you're here today and... Uh, Maybe you are experiencing feelings of hopelessness. Maybe you're not exactly sure where you are with the Lord right now in your life. Maybe you've never asked him to be Lord of your life before. Maybe you're not walking with him, or maybe you have and it's been a long time. I don't know, but if that's you this morning, I just want to say to you, there's, there's hope for you too, because the Holy Spirit, the Lord is here right now, and he's offering life, fulfillment, goodness, peace to you this morning and ultimately eternal life. And all you have to do is accept that. So I want to ask you today, as we're going to pray in a moment, if, if that's you, if you'd like to say, yeah, I'd like to become a follower of Christ or I'd like to rededicate my life to him right now, for you to raise your hand and you can put it right back down. I'm actually not going to call anyone forward this morning. We already did that in our altar time. I'm not going to call you out or recognize you publicly. But there's no need to pray this prayer if there's no one that needs to pray this prayer. So I'm asking, is there anyone here today? You can put up your hand and put it right back down. Yes. Is there anyone else? 
Every week since we've opened this church, we've had multiple people make this commitment to Christ. I'm so thankful. It's why we're here. Anyone else today? Are there others? You can just quickly put your hand up and put it right back down. Anyone else today? We're going to pray this prayer all together out loud. All I'm going to do is pray, and I'm going to ask you to just repeat this prayer after me. It's just a simple prayer of commitment to Christ, if you would. So as I pray, just repeat this after me. Lord, I admit to you today that I've sinned in my life. And I believe that you gave up your life for me. That I might be forgiven for my sins have eternal life so I ask you now to forgive me for all my sin save me and make me new and I ask you now Jesus to be Lord over my life and live in me and I commit to following you the rest of my life and with your head still bowed, if anyone here is facing a difficult time, struggling and needing hope for a particular situation, would you just raise your hand? I'm not going to call you out either, but yeah, yeah, are there more? Yep, yep, there's lots of hands. I know there are struggles in our lives, and even for someone else in your family or friends, I just want a, a closing prayer today, and we're going to do one more thing and let you go, just a couple more minutes. Let's just agree together, if we can, for these folks and others for this in this prayer today. Lord... We don't always have the answers for every circumstance and every struggle, but we know that you do. So we ask you today to help us to wait patiently as you work things out for our good. And we ask that you saturate us with the light of your hope as we enter that inner place, that place of intimate communion with you that we would find encouragement and rest. That we would find assurance that you're for us. That you're working out all your benefits in our lives. Just bring peace, Lord. Bring, bring comfort. Bring rest. Bring clarity. Take away the confusion. Surround these, Lord, with your love. We ask you for answered prayers. We ask for provision today. We're asking you for healing today. We're asking you for understanding, Lord. We're asking you for wisdom and for direction and for restoration in every circumstance. We need you. Yet we trust you. You alone are our hope. And so we love you and we thank you. And we pray in the great and mighty name of Jesus Christ. Amen.